Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. I'm here with Elliot. Hey, we have a tagline now. Brand new tagline. And Marilyn. <laughs> hey, guys. And yeah, we're going to talk about triathloning and uh, yeah, hopefully making some gains here. Today, our main topic is going to be discussing staying fast as you get a little bit older. But we are going to start out with a few questions. We had a few people submit questions. So if you do have questions about anything, f- feel free to reach out to any of us or I'll try and throw an Instagram story out there where I request them. But anytime you have a question, feel free to throw it in there and we'll try and get to you in the next week or two if you have one. And we, uh, have, a, we have a few already lined up for next week as well. So the very first question we have is something that is an unfortunate side effect of well mostly running occasionally cycling and that is the oh, uncomfortable- and swimming and swimming yeah oh i get yeah. beard chafing on my shoulder all the time um yeah is is chafing and you can get chafing in a lot of places any place that rubs really um we're not going to tell stories about this because that's not a road i want to go down but um <laughs> I want to I want to talk about the, kind of the main places where you might be chafing, and I, I would say mostly in in running we'd be looking at like the armpits and the crotch area. Any other major places you guys want to add to that list? Well, nipples. Oh yeah, yeah. The old red elevens. Anything that's covered by a running short, um, and obviously the blisters on your feet as well. But yeah, and then, and then swimming wise, like from your wetsuit around your neck as well. I mean, basically most of your body can be chafed if you do something a little wrong, you know, and it, like if you have, uh, if you're shoving something down your shirt or down your sports bra and you're running or riding, you know, you can get chafed from that as well. So anywhere yeah. there's friction. Yeah. Inner thighs. And definitely for some of the ladies, um, and the chest, you know, depending on good sports bras or, um, you know, areas like that, that can be, that can be a problem for some of the ladies as well. Yeah. I'd say that the first thing I would say is try different clothing. That's why you want to always try your kit out before race day. And I think there's a, a bunch of different brands out there. They make a lot of different products that fit a lot of different ways. And, you know, anything that has steams in a spot that doesn't work for you or whatever it is could definitely chafe you. If like my, my running singlets cut up a little too high in my armpits, I can get, chafing up there or like, you know, it's just the way this chamois is sewn in, you can get chafing. So I would say try it and then don't be afraid to try something different because not all products fit the same. Yeah. Bib shorts can make a big difference for training wise. Um, you know, some, I definitely have had some bad shorts where you get the, the, the chamois ring, the chafing from a chamois ring and that, oh, geez. Whew, those are bad ones. And so you, you know, bib shorts, they can be inconvenient sometimes for the ladies to go to the bathroom, but they make a big difference in terms of chafing and saddle sores and stuff like that. I think another thing to be aware of is if you're shaving and you maybe don't shave that often, or you're shaving an area you haven't shaved before any like shortcut or newly growing skin is, is a real chance to, to cut yourself open. Um, just as Jesse said, like he, we've probably both had red shoulders from our, our beards cutting up our, our shoulders. Um, but yeah, it's th- that's another thing to be aware of. And I'm glad pers- you didn't say I had that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Nope, I don't think so. But yeah, Jesse and I can both grow a pretty solid beard. Um, the other thing is like, personally, 
and I suggest this to a lot of my athletes is like, if there's a chance it might chafe, put some Vaseline on it. And, and you'll hear people say like, Oh, you might destroy your wetsuit. Like I've had people been putting Vaseline literally everywhere that there might be a chance. And if you've seen me personally get ready for a race, you're like, you're putting Vaseline where, and I was like, eh, there's a chance it happened twice in the last 20 years. And I don't want it happening today. So yeah, I put a little bit of dab of Vaseline in, in quite a few different spots just to kind of cover all my bases. And it goes a really long ways, you know, aquaphor is really good too. breeze a little better than Vaseline. So yeah, that's the fancy stuff. But if you're me, you just have the, the dollar generic Vaseline everywhere you go. You look real creepy, but it works. So, um, if you are racing, I would say put it on with gloves, kind of can mess with your water feel. I don't know if it actually makes you slower or not, but it doesn't feel good. But is that they also make a a spray that's like a non-chafe spray. And that actually works surprisingly well. I think it, it might stay a little bit longer than Vaseline. I feel like I used it on my neck for like wetsuit chafing and I was still shiny like later on that night because it stayed so well. If you follow me, Elliot Bassett on Instagram, you will see one of my last stories was my back completely burnt because I used that very spray because I thought it was sunblock. It was not sunblock. Use it only in the spots that chafe and nowhere else. Is yeah, it doesn't work per- for sunblock, but it does work pretty well for lube. Yeah. I I did not get chafed that day. I will tell you what, uh, but I did get burnt. So if you want to use it in those specific areas, it is actually great for that. And that's what it should be used for. And then the other thing I would say is just in racing, like it's, it's always good to have extra around, like throw it in your T2 bag. If they have it at eight stations, use it. It's one of those things where it seems annoying. You're going to spend 30 seconds putting it on, but if you're not dealing with something cutting you for the next three hours of running, it's probably worth that 30 seconds. Yep. All right. That was a lot of talk on chafing. Next question is about eating and it's about kind of trying to avoid that, those late night snacks and those midnight cravings and what you can do in order to help yourself from overeating in the evening or at night, kind of the the wrong time maybe to be eating a ton of food. I think the main thing is that hunger is generally a really good sign that your body could use more fuel. And if you're training really hard and you ate a, what you thought was a good dinner, and then you find yourself unable to sleep because of how hungry you are, that's like a giant red flag that you probably should have eaten more for dinner. Maybe you should have eaten more during your ride as well. And maybe you should have eaten more earlier in the day. Um, now this is, doesn't necessarily mean you have to eat more in every single meal of the day, but, um, it's, it's also totally okay to wake up because you did a super hard training ride. You ate what you thought was as much as you could eat. And then you passed out on the couch for five hours. We've all been there, or at least the three of us have. And then you wake up and you have to eat like a fifth meal that day. Well, that's going to happen sometimes. And that's just maybe because you're exhausted. Um, but generally speaking, that's the gist of it. Marilyn? Yeah, I agree. I think if people are, you know, if you're craving a lot at night and quite hungry, it means you're not eating enough throughout the day and probably not eating enough right after your workouts. The other thing I find that's um, with endurance athletes, got to, you know, got to remember with these uh, trends where some people try these really, really light carbohydrate diets. And remember, we need carbohydrates for endurance sports and you need your glycogen stores to go fast. I mean, that's, that's sort of like physiology 101. And so if you get caught in that cycle of, you know, high protein, low carbohydrate diets, and you find that you're really 
really, really hungry at night, you probably need to increase your carbohydrate intake throughout the day. And, um, and it's not only going to help your recovery and your performance, but it's going to help curb that a little bit as well. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is that eating before, during, and after training sessions, I'm just kind of echoing what everyone said so far, but I think that's super important and it's really easy to overlook that especially when, you know, you're, you've gotten fairly fit and maybe you can go for a two hour ride and you don't need to eat much beforehand and you don't really eat much during the ride and you get done, you don't feel that hungry. You jump in the shower, you go about your day and all of a sudden you like haven't eaten anything and gone for this ride. And and now it's like a few hours later. And then you have, you know, this kind of massive hunger that you haven't, haven't done anything about at all. So really, really kind of trying to preload, like eating, eating enough beforehand, eating enough during, and then, yeah, like making sure you're doing something for your recovery after it's uh, it can really set you up for success the rest of the day. It's when I skimp on those things where I end up like on the floor of the box of cereal, um, which has happened many times, but sometimes it's hard <laughs> to get in, get in enough calories. But, but, you know, like, I think that what the, the rides that I actually feel well on, then I don't do that. Like if I'm diligent about drinking a recovery shake right after or, or something pretty soon after then, you know, I can go about, go about my day and eat normal, maybe like large meals, but normal meals. But if I, you know, go for a five hour ride, don't eat enough during, don't eat anything right away after. Yeah. That's when you find me like knee deep in the peanut butter jar or something. I think one final thing. So Marilyn was talking about carbohydrates and she's hundred percent right. Like you need carbohydrates more than you need fat or protein. But if you're talking purely about feeling like satisfied and not hungry later in the day, making sure that post-workout meal has plenty of fat and protein as well. It doesn't have to have an excessive amount, but it's just like, you don't need to just eat cookie, like sugar, right? Um, you need a little bit of everything. And that usually makes you feel quite a bit better and then staying hydrated as well. And yeah, I don't want to give this question a 30 minute answer, but I, I also see people that are like trying to skimp on on their meals earlier in their day. Cause they have like this, this race weight, which they're trying to like work towards or whatever it is. And I found that for most athletes for 99% of athletes, pun intended is that they, uh, they do <laughs> better you get if your they, gains, your weight gains. You, they just eat like kind of listening to their hunger and, you know, focus on eating kind of the right things earlier in the day. But like, like these guys said, if, if you're hungry, you probably need to eat more. And if you eat more, your training sessions will go better and you'll get fitter and you'll race faster, no matter what the scale says, obviously that there's a, a point where that's not true anymore. But, you know, in general, if, if you're training a fair bit, then, you know, don't be afraid to eat a little more food. I ate a lot of food, <laughs> a lot. You guys yeah, have seen eat, eating is important. Time. Eating is, is important. You should always have snacks nearby. Train big, eat big. That used to be the, the slogan, all the guys that I used to train with Gordo and all those guys are like, gotta eat big. If you're going to train big. <laughs> Perfect. Should we like uh, roll over? Yeah. All right. Moving on to being fast as you get a little bit older. Elliot is our, our in-house um, fact finder. So he's going to start out by laying out some, some baseline information for us. Well, first, first, before we even go forward with that, let's define older. Let's put that out there right away. So what, when we're talking about this stuff, we say fast. I mean, uh, Joel Fro put a book out there. It was like fast after 50. Um, so let's make sure that we're all on the same page of what we think older is and fast 
as you get older? And is it different for men and women? I, so what do you guys think on that? Yeah, I think like generally speaking, when when Jesse's talking about it, like I I've often said like I'd I don't think age groups should exist between 23 and 43 because it's kind of all the same. Um and I still make the cut. Yeah. Still in the mix. All right. So um over. But the 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 reason I say that is essentially like some things fade, you know, when you're on the back half of 23 to 43. And yes, technically you might be less likely to be stronger, if you will, in quotes, but there's also a lot of like, uh, gains that can be made that you can't necessarily make without time. And so then you like have made those as you're in that, the, the back end of that, that bracket. So the science I'll get into in a sec is like, a lot of that is just like, yeah, you're essentially, you're aging, like the moment you're out of high school in some regards. And in other regards, you're like aging once you're a couple of years out of college. But I think for the, the purpose of like everything we're talking about, it's like that general idea, but really it's more like, um, when you only have so much time and you, you personally feel a clear, like dip maybe in what is your day-to-day energy, or you notice that your body is just not going to recover. Um, maybe like, like it once did in, in air quotes again, but Jesse. Well, so if you were going to put a number on it, do you have a, uh, a number you would throw out there? I mean, let's just say, f- I'm going to say 30. Because I personally think like a lot of things you train with someone, even if they're an elite athlete, you do train them differently as like a post 30, as opposed to a pre 30, you can, you can be a little, you can do a lot of things pre 30 that you don't necessarily have to, that you can't do post 30. And then, and then the, the way it changes is like, it's the same idea, but it just gets more and more and more. So like every five to 10 years, it gets more and more and more. That's yeah. You? Yeah, I guess if I was going to put an age on it, I, in my head, if you'd asked me this question five years ago, I probably would have said, oh yeah, like once you're after 40, that's when you really have to start like changing what you do. But when I look back at what I've had to do in my career, like as just like an example is that I've definitely started changing things a lot closer to 35 than waiting till I was 40 because I'm not there yet. Um, you're 30. I'm, I'm almost there. I'm 39. I've got a little okay. time left. Um, and you've got way more hair than I do. And I'm younger. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I would say like, if I was going to put a number on it, I would go closer to 35. And I think it does kind of depend on. Yeah. Quite a few factors, but I think you definitely should probably start things before you're 40. Marilyn, did you, did you want to throw a number out there or do you think, Yeah, you know what? It, it, I, um, I think one thing to remember is what different sports are going to be pretty different. So if you're talking like short course, um, you know, anything that's going to be short, fast, powerful, obviously there's going to be sports like football and weightlifting and, you know, these fast explosive sports where they're really, you're primarily even swimming, right? We are primarily at your best in your twenties or even in, you know, sort of that 16 to 25 years old. And that that's probably true in a lot of the ITU racing, that kind of stuff. But from a physiology standpoint of view, it really takes a long time to develop a big aerobic engine. And you, and so there's a fine line between old enough to be developed enough as an actual endurance athlete and cusping that edge of, of all the things that you guys are talking about, these markers where training has to change 
because we're we're aging. And so where is that line? And I think what's interesting is those boundaries are being pushed all the time now. I think, you know, science would say earlier on, even, you know, five, 10 years ago, exactly where you guys are talking about in those, in those thirties. But what we're learning is there's, and of course, these are special cases and and special people. This isn't going to be everybody, but there's people going really, really fast, older and older. And so maybe that's changing a little bit. I don't think that that's going to change in the explosive sports and the short course type sports. So if we're, you know, LA Earl specialist in the short course stuff with ITU racing and, and you're going to see the really fast 10 K runs off the bike and stuff, I think that is going to be under the age of 30 for sure. But I think when we're talking about endurance across a marathon and then even longer, like an Ironman. So, you know, you're racing, let's say for eight hours or for, you know, eight and a half hours, just under nine for a lot of the women especially the women, I think, you know, where that actual age line is, I'm, I'm not sure we really know exactly right now. And if I had to put a real number on it, I'm going to push it all the way to 45. I think after 45 is when it's maybe the guys that might be a little sooner. Maybe not. I mean, we're seeing guys like Cameron Brown and even watch what Dave Scott did when he was a little bit older. Um, Craig Alexander, those guys, you know, typically you'd say like 38 for, for men, 38 to 41 and sort of that 43 to 45 for women. But, you know, I I don't think I can give a clear, sure answer on that with the way the boundaries are being pushed right now. I like, uh, I think we should also make the point. I said, I think of someone as like maybe aging as 30 or after, but I also think a lot of people are simultaneously aging and getting to their peak at the same time. And I think like ultimately to develop as an endurance athlete. Yeah. And I think ultimately like, a lot of the best athletes in this sport of triathlon, whether it's a sprint distance, like Javier Gomez is still one of the best guys in the world. And he's older than me. Um, he's like 38 or whatever. He's same year as me. Um, and he's, you know, is he the best, the best, the best? No, but he actually never was the best at short at, at sprint. He was really good at Olympic distance and he's still kind of like one of the top five or 10 in the world at Olympic distance. And, um, but I think you're si- seeing people simultaneously become the best athlete version of themselves and be aging at the same time and have to alter their training and yet still getting faster. So I think that's what we want to like get into in terms of the science, et cetera. But that's a good way to, to set up the question is like, Hey, we're talking about how you're aging, but that doesn't mean you have to go slower. Yeah. And I would even argue that, um, past 10 K half marathon and into marathon, in particular in, in something as long as, you know, triathlon. So half Ironman and Ironman, you know, I think that, um, in your twenties, you're not going to be at your best. You know, you just haven't been, you don't have the miles in your legs and you don't have the development and it, it just takes longer. So it literally is a sport of, it's going to be a little bit later in life. And then we've got to also look at, and this is something that I'm sure we'll touch on as we go is um, athletic age. So when did you start this whole process? Did you start when you were 19 years old? Uh, did you start when you were 12? Have you been, you know, doing iron kids since you were, you know, six years old or, you know, a swimmer your whole life or ran track and field? Like what's, what's your athletic age on top of everything else? Or is the first time you ever did a swim stroke was when you were 19 or 20. So that's going to play a big factor as well on, on all of this. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, I, I raised some kids over the weekend who I could legit be their father. And, uh, 
But then I look at when they started the sport and they were doing, you know, they raced the first Ironman at like 18 and did a, a whole bunch of racing leading up to that. And so now they're like, oh, it's all, that was almost like, you know, almost a decade ago, they did their first Ironman. So that's their athletic age is actually much older than you would think of when you think of like a 26 year old, like since they kind of cur- shifted that curve earlier in their life. So they have some of those, like what you might think of as like endurance miles that you picture a 35 year old having at whatever, 25, 26, cause they started earlier. So that athletic age can definitely shift things around. Um, yeah, I think, I think the main thing that we're, we're talking about is that the idea, I guess the reason I put that up front is that the idea of what age is where we consider ourselves an aging athlete is going to be it. I think the answer is always going to be, it depends, right. And it's going to depend on certain athletes, but for the sake of this conversation, I think we can all agree that let's just, if we had to throw a number of where really, really def, you know, is going to, we're going to see some changes in training and recovery and maybe even like body composition and hormones and all that. I think, I, I don't know if you guys will go for this, but can we say that it would be after the age of 45 that we, if we're, if we're going to pick an age? Well, I guess I would say like your training, you know, your training is always going to have to change over time. Right. But what I, what I'm thinking about is like your training probably has to change a little bit before then, like if you haven't added in lifting and you're over 35 and you've been racing for a while, like you should probably add in some strength training. If you're like 25, maybe it's less of a big deal. So I guess that's kind of like where in my head, I'm like, okay, you're kind of like aging. You need to like, you know, when I was in my twenties, I don't think I owned a foam roller, but like, <laughs> it just didn't matter. Right. But like, you know, as you get older, you kind of start having to add all these things in. And now like in the morning for me to get out the door, it's like, there's a process, right? So it's not, I can't just like wake up and run. And, you know, I spent a lot of years being able to do that. So that's kind of the, the, where the mark is in my mind. We're like, okay, I need to like start changing my routine because I am not like the kid I was before, like, and maybe it's five minutes of foam rolling. Maybe it's a few minutes of stretching. Maybe it's a 45 minute weight routine, but I'd say those things are kind of what I would in my mind or what change it. I, and that's why I would want to argue for earlier. Right. But, but I, I think that like we could call it that decade from 35 to 45. Cause I think it can, you know, a lot of people maybe are, are 38 and still don't need to do much because they have better genes than me or something. Um, I would totally agree with that. They don't shop at Costco. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want me to get into some of the science? Cause I think that will help clear up a lot of the answer. Cause it's, I don't think it's a very straightforward answer. Let's do it. Um, okay. So, so to that point, uh, like this is, this is general, this is for, for the general population, but athletes are part of the general population. So like muscle mass and muscle strength fade, like fades on average three to 8% per decade. So like once you're 30 from the age of 30 to 40, the average person loses three to 8% of their muscle mass and strength. Same goes for 40 to 50, 50 to 60 after 60, it actually bumps up. Now that's a range and you can combat that, but the general idea is even if you do everything you can to combat it and you're lifting, if you came in in prime condition at 30 and you leave your prime version of yourself, 
you still might lose 3% of that max strength. We're talking about an endurance sport. So max strength is not that important in between 30 and 40. And that's why you see so many people who are able to win Ironmans at 40 plus because your max strength doesn't matter. Now in, in a sprint distance race, your max strength also actually doesn't matter that much, but it matters a little, little bit. And that little, little bit is why you see just less people who are 40 competing to win the Olympic gold medal. Um, and, and that's because we're splitting hairs on a percent of a percent of a percent, right? So that's just muscle mass. Um, I think another thing that's, that's really important for people to, when they think about aging is bone density and the average females, 90% of their bone density is kind of like made up by the age of 18. And for the average male, that's 20%. And you do continue to grow bone density till about like the age of, um, 25 or 30, depending on who you are. And then you kind of stay the same till 40. So for, as far as bone density goes, we'd be like looking pretty solidly at like the age of 40. And, um, and then as you lose bone density, like issues arise, like it's easier to break a bone. Right. So then all of a sudden running mileage often has to, to drop down. And then, um, if you're just going purely VO two max, am I boring you guys yet? Not yet. Good. Okay. This, not yet. This is, this is, this is great because it follows what we were just comparing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so fat. yeah. And so then, and the numbers are all over. So now we're going to get into VO two max, right. And VO2 max is just like maximal oxygen uptake. And then it's often related to weight. The, like, I don't have the actual specific numbers on this, but I've looked at it many times before. Like the average person gains about a pound a year. Um, now if you're an athlete and you're staying on top of it, like you might not gain any weight. So then your VO2 max would only drop due to like the lowering of how much oxygen you can consume and, and function in one in at one time. Um, and it, and the average person's VO2 starts to fade after the age of 25. However, if you dive into those studies, you realize, well, that's because they're maybe not training at peak. And if you train at peak, does your VO2 max drop after the age of 25? And the answer is yes, but it doesn't drop. It, it literally drops like 5% of what it would drop if you weren't training. So like the sedentary 25 year old loses like a percent a year, the super fit 25 year old who continues to train at a world-class level uses like 0.5% of the year. So are you still going to lose half a percent by the age of 35? Yes. But functionally, if you're doing an Ironman, that's completely negligible, right? So like, and VO2 that, for an Ironman athlete, isn't really, um, something that yeah. matters anyways, really in, unless you're, unless you're literally making or breaking your entire Ironman on, if you got on somebody's feet in the first 200 meters, it's, it's just not important for Ironman for ITU. That's very important. Um, and, and that's why you're going to see basically like very few people, 35 plus competing to win, um, but even still, I think in an Olympic distance draft legal race, like it's still an endurance race, you know, VO two is not as important as threshold in those races. Um, okay. So we did VO two max bone density, muscle mass. So if we're going to go into like joint stiffness and ligament stiff, so like ligaments tend to shorten as you get older joints tend to get stiffer. And that's because you like lose some of the, there's, there's fluid in a joint. I'm totally butchering the specifics, but it's functionally, this is correct. 
um, and you like lose a bit of fluid, your, your cartilage gets a little bit thinner as well in, in joints. And so functionally a joint, basically, if you're going to think about it as the tin man, you just get to be a little more like the tin man, whether you want to or not, um, as you age. And, and that one's kind of like linear, like it's just kind of like a slow decline from the point of like 20. Um, but it's slow. And the more you use a joint, the healthier it stays. And the more you go through the range of motion with a, with a ligament, the more it's going to keep its range of motion. So, so much of it has to do with like, Oh, I have bad ankles, but that's because I, I massively strained an ankle and then they were immobile and then I didn't use them. So it's not that they lost mobility because I got older. It's because I didn't use them. So if you're using stuff, you're, you stay strong for a really long time. Um, you guys want to jump in on anything right there? So I guess looking at all that, let's say we have an athlete who's, you know, in that range of say 35 to 45, and they know these things are happening. Let's talk about what we can do to help those athletes combat that and how to maintain peak fitness or be able to race as fast as they were racing when they were a little bit younger as they get older, right? Like those are all the things we're, we're up against. So what are, what are the solutions that, that we have that maybe we use as coaches for some of our older athletes that have made them either race faster than they've ever raced before, or at least maintain as they're getting older. I, so it, like, that's a great question. And I I'm going to just like bullet point it. It's like you all strength training becomes a thing you, you kind of have to do as opposed to a thing you could do mobility training becomes a thing you really probably should do as opposed to a thing you probably don't have to do at all. Um, and then you, I didn't get into any of the hormone stuff. Cause that was like, whatever you can look it up if you want to, but hormones change as you get older, it will affect training. Um, but needless to say, rest becomes more important in how you time workouts. Like you have less leeway in between really hard workouts. So I think that to me is the bullet point of, as we look at whatever age you are, if you decide to consider yourself an aging athlete, um, those are my bullet points, Marilyn. Yeah. I think, you know, this, we, we all talk about strength training and aging athletes. And I, I think that's an important topic to, to really dive into. You also talked about that our tendons and ligaments, um, get, you know, a little bit less pliable. Maybe they're getting, you know, not as thick as they were when they were younger and, and more injury. And the thing about strength training, if it, is, if it is done right, not only, so just so people know another reason that this might be good and why we advise it is not only for if you're losing muscle mass that you talked about. So it's going to help keep that muscle mass that's um, coming off as you get older and you're an endurance athlete, your strength's going down. So yes, it's going to help you continue with that strength. But it also, when you do certain types of strength training, especially a lot of eccentric load and high rep type stuff, it actually thickens tendons and ligaments. So you're going to be putting the joints through some, some movement you're going to be gaining strength and muscle mass, but you're also going to be, there is an element of thickening of the tendons and ligaments and that's going to help. So, so strength training is pretty important as you get older and it's not, not for everybody. You definitely want to make sure that, you know, it's the right athletes that you're giving it to and giving them the right type of strength training. It's what, what you give just like swim, bike and run is, is really important, but some form of it for sure. I think we can all agree on that. Um, the other one that I really know with, um, with, with older athletes is 
seems so simple, but just don't stop. You know, when you're 25, you can take like a three month break, jump back into training and, and, you know, three weeks later, you're back where you were, or you can miss three days and you're totally fine. But for my older athletes, it's, it's really about staying consistent all year and consistency overrides any kind of um, intensity or even any kind of specific volume or big weeks or anything like that. We're looking at just checking off week in, week out. We might be targeting different energy systems or periodization of what we're doing within those hours and weeks, changing that up for a different stimuli, but we keep on going. And I'll tell you the, some of the conversations I've had with some really successful 60 plus and even 70 plus athletes, they don't know each other at all. Never, never met each other. They all say the exact same thing just don't stop. And, and so it's like that, you know, that is like, they know, you know, you look at those, those women and those men who are still going really strong when they're a lot older and living the quality of life that they want being athletic and healthy and fit and able to pick up their grandkids and their groceries and lift heavy things. Still, it's they, they, they really, really all say it's, it's across the board, just don't stop. So, so strength training and consistency are the two first go-tos for me. Awesome. That was really good. I, um, I totally agree with that. I think, yeah, people always want to take that off season and, or I guess a lot of people want to take that off season, but I think making sure you're, yeah, especially like say with something like running where you want to keep, keep that moving. So you don't have to like stop and then totally stiffen up and try and get going again. It's really good to, to keep that going basically all year in, in some form or another as you're, so, as you're aging. One thing that I, I know I, I've had a few athletes do and granted you guys are in Arizona and I've been in Montana and in Canada, et cetera. You, you know, running year round is pretty important, but you can totally like run less volume and run less frequently and hiking. If you're hiking and lifting weights, you know, and doing like a lot of the things Marilyn was mentioning where you're, you're just like doing a pretty heavy load in the weight room, but you're still, you're walking and you're on your feet or like, hell you go dancing, you know, once a week or something like with your spouse, like, if you're on your feet, that's just going to go a super long way. And if you want to like dive into some of the bone density stuff, it's just like time on your feet's important. Running is great and keeping that consistent is great, but like you don't have to freak out that like, oh, I have to run three times a week for the rest of my life or it's never going to work. It's like, no, you have to be on your feet. So maybe it's a hike. Maybe you go skiing, you know, maybe you play tennis, whatever, but you do have to be on your feet. And, and then generally speaking, if you're really aiming for speed, like Marilyn says, it's not about your peaks. It's more about keeping your Valley really not that deep when you're, when you're older. Right. And then I, it, the, we'll get into this next week and next week's pod, but, um, that's kind of the opposite, right. When you're younger, uh, a little bit, um, but we don't need to talk about that now. Another strategy that I find really effective for, for much older athletes, you know, we still are, our events are long, so you still need the endurance. You know, we can't just get away with minimizing training down to strength training and, and hills and speed work and say, we're going to be able to complete an Ironman or, or half Ironman. You still need that volume there. And we need a good amount of aerobic fitness to be able to still go long. And so a strategy that I'll use, because like you said, maybe the running's the first thing to go as you get older, you know, a little bit more injury prone. We have to be more careful about programming any kind of intensity, these kinds of things. So a really good strategy is, is a focus on the swim a lot. You know, you can get really, really fit in the water 
unless your athlete has particular, you know, shoulder issues or something like that, I'll, I'll put them on a really heavy swim program. They're a long run. Just like you said, Ellie, it might look like a hike. We do a lot of gym stuff. And then the actual running workouts there, they're going to be, you know, real specific to that athlete. And we, we get the most out of what we need out of the actual runs, but we're getting really, really fit in the water and really strong in the gym and really durable in the gym. And, you know, like you say, getting that time on your legs on long hikes and that, you know, those can be a really successful little tools to use for the, for the much older athletes. And then you're sprinkling in, you know, the, the stuff that they're going to need to, to go fast, whether it be fartlek stuff or hill runs or, you know, those kinds of things and, and little doses often, you know, those kinds of things like the strides that we talked about on the run podcast for a younger athlete that might look like, you know, 10 by 10 by 30 on 30 off for an older athlete, that might be five by 10 seconds, you know, 10, 10 seconds on 50 seconds off, you know, so you're going to, um, they're still going to go fast. It might even just look like drills. It might look like some real fast, snappy drills where they stay athletic. You know, I, I try to say to my older athletes, every time you step out the door, think like you're athletic, tall, athletic, even funny little things like saying you're going to do calf raises every single day, keep your calves really strong so that you can stay athletic on your feet. And those are the things that we start to lose as we get older and, and um, they can actually make a difference. Just those little things. And the other thing I like to, to think about is, um, is that country song where, you know, you're not, you're as good once if you ever were or something. And uh, yeah. <laughs> like, keeping some of those sessions that are, that are like pretty hard and uh, maybe it's like, like more swim focused or more bike focused and a little bit less on like the super hard running, but, and maybe it's um, not even close to every weekend. Like maybe it was when you were younger, but you know, every once in a while doing like a pretty hard ride and, and like a, a decent runoff where you're like, okay, like I can still go hard and fast for kind of a while. And, you know, like I said, maybe you can't replicate that quite as often as you could when you were younger, but you kind of touch on that a couple of times leading into a race to, to get that feeling and, you know, make sure you have enough recovery from it, but, but still getting, getting in some, like some pretty solid work and, and those, yeah, I think those endurance gains can, can last a lot longer than maybe we give them credit for when we're younger, because we can back it up with maybe another hard session two or three days later. But, you know, say you do once every two weeks, so you hit it fairly long with like some good work and, as you're older, that can be enough. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about what you're saying, Jesse, is me being the oldest one on this podcast <laughs> and, and athletically, I'm really old. Like I've been doing elite sports since I was nine years old. So not only am I in my mid forties, but I also have been doing sports for a really long time. Um, I can handle because I've got so many miles under my belt. I can handle actually a lot of hours and it, it doesn't beat me up as much as when I was younger. I can, I can roll through a ton of hours in training and be pretty okay. But I will say, I always, you know, every week I'm like, I can go really hard into the well about once a week, maybe once every two weeks. So I have to be really selective. Most of the times when I'm out on, on rides with my friends, you know, I'll, I'll choose to back off or I, cause I know that I've only got so many of those in me a month. You know, I, I know it's like, if I'm going to really go to the well, that's going to be, it's going to take, take something out of me. So you choose them a little bit more wisely than when you're younger. When I was younger, I could do it every day. You know, it was just like, okay, I can jump on anybody's wheel up the Canyon and drill the crap out of myself and turn around and do it again tomorrow. But now I can, yeah, I can handle the, the volume. I can still ride a, a ton. Um, when, you know, I, I say ride because I primarily cycle now and, and don't do triathlon anymore, but, um, yeah, but, but going hard, it's, you know, definitely needs to be chosen much more, much more wisely. 
I think one thing as to that point where I was talking about VO2 max kind of fading after the age of 25, um, the same is not true for threshold. So like the, like I think you see, I, I know Jesse has talked about it in, in the shootout in Tucson, one of the biggest group rides in, in the country, there's often just older guys who hang on and, and that ride has so much to do with threshold and not quite as much to do with pop. Whereas some other local group rides are more like really high speed than low speed, high speed, low speed. And the shootouts just a high moving train. And if you're fit enough, you just tuck into that train and hold on. And threshold just doesn't fade at nearly the rate and it, and it doesn't really start to drop until you stop doing the stimulus. And so just like you were talking about Maryland, you can still do it because you only have to do it like once every week to 10 days in order to stay where you're at. And threshold just won't fade as long as you keep doing it. Um, and, and even small bouts of threshold training can go a really long way if you already were fit. And to, to your earlier idea about that consistency, it's like, well, if you want to have a pretty good threshold, you should probably um, touch on that threshold, even if it's only 10 minutes, right? 10 minutes of threshold work in the off season goes a super long way. And maybe you do that for a few months and then in season. Yeah, that's, that's a much higher number. Um, and then you just have to make sure that those workouts are spaced out and one threshold workout in the, in the pool is not compromising your threshold workout in the swim and, and or sorry, in the, in, on the bike or on the run, um, and, and kind of have that balancing act in between the three making sure you're getting that race specific intensity in that way. I, you know, what's really cool, Elliot, I don't know if people have picked up on something really important that you said there is, you know, with younger athletes, when we've got, you know, teens, early twenties, and you're looking at periodization for them, there's often, you know, blocks of time where people do a lot of base work. And that's really important for young athletes to develop that base, that base level. And where you see a mistake being made, is you've got older athletes who have been at it a long time and they're still stuck in thinking that they need to do these great big, you know, low zone one, zone two base type phases. And, and where I'm going with this is you said something like, hey, even in your off season, you should be touching on just 10 minutes of threshold. I'm a big believer in, in older athletes that they should be touching all those energy systems year round. Because yep. like you said, I mean, that big, you know, you might have someone who's 21 and yeah, they need to do a, an, you know, a six week or an eight week block of just big miles and building up that base. And they don't have that. They have natural strength their home hormones are a little higher, all of these things that yeah, they need to, they need to do that. If you're 50, 55 years old, 40 years old, and you've been doing this for over 10 years, that base phase, you might still do relatively high volume, but like you said, touching on, you know, the, the threshold or even some of the high intensity all year round is going to be much more important for older athletes than younger athletes. I don't know if you guys agree with that or not, but that's, that's been my experience. I, I a hundred percent agree. And sometimes I feel kind of silly. Uh, one guy I've been coaching, I'm not going to name him, but I've been coaching him for well over a decade and he's, uh, in 55 to 60 and he, you know, um, anyways, if you just like looked at one week from July versus one week in January, they're different, but they're not that different. Right. right. Whereas if you looked at Erica, my girlfriend's training from July, if she's about to go race a WTS race versus December, it's not even recognizable. And, right. and, the, and, but like they both serve the same purpose. It's just a different person getting ready for, for a different race, but that they actually both raced uh, draft legal and like you'd, you'd expect there to be some similarity and it's like, no, 
it's, it's totally different because one person's been doing the sport for five years and one person's been doing the sport for, oh my goodness, like over 40 years, you know? And, and then was, was, a was an athlete before that even too. And you're just like, oh, well, of, of course the training has to be different. And I think when you look at, you know, you might be like, let's say you're 45 and you're listening to this and you just saw uh, a 40 year old, like is Jan Ferdano 40? He just won the race you did Jesse. Yeah. I actually don't know if he's 40 yet, but whatever he's, he's close enough. Yeah. So if you're 45 and you see him and he's 40 and he's got kids too, and you're like, well, we're only five years different. Um, like that's probably not the best way to look at things. You have to look at like, where is your situation now? And like, what's the best way to tweak your personal situation and your limitations. And we're talking about mobility and strength training. There's going to be people listening to this who are 50 who really don't have to do a lot of strength training and maybe have to do a ton of mobility work, or maybe they have to actually just do base miles, which is exactly what we just said. You probably don't have to do but it might be because you're coming to the sport later and you just need to get those miles in. And yes, you need to do some mobility and some strength, but you have to also kind of like consider at the end of the day, this is still an endurance sport. Um, and there's certain baselines that you have to get to before you can get to having the problem of not having enough strength or not having enough mobility. Um, and so yeah, that's, that's one that, thing. That we're big difference, talking. athletic age versus, um, you know, just you're, you guys know, I can't say that word athletic. <laughs> Athletic age? No, no. The other one, chronological. I can't say Oh, chronological. chronological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Like I've certainly had 50 plus year old athletes who they, they're coming to endurance sport, you know, brand new. You, you definitely still need to do that, that base building phase for them. But, um, and you still need the volume in an overall program. But I really think the older athletes, they need to, to focus on that consistency and touching, touching just a little bit of intensity all year, much more than the younger athletes. Sorry, I kind of um, took over there on you on that one. Yeah, I think the uh, the unintended consequence of of doing just base blocks or something like that for someone who's older athletically, anyways, is that you end up getting stuck in that slower gear, right? And you lose that ability to to be athletic, as Marilyn was kept saying, and and moving fast, right? You you get locked into that base 